Pulp MX Network production. Thanks for all the support, Pulp MX fans. The Pulp MX app is now available for both iPhone and Android-based phones. For all your moto needs, shop at btosports.com and use the current discount code PULPMX. And don't forget to click the Amazon banner on PULPMX.com when purchasing anything from Amazon. It's the Steve Mathis Show, brought to you by RacerX, presented by BTOSports.com and ThorMX. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by our friends at ThorMX. Thank you, BTOsports.com, and thank you, ThorMX, for coming on board. I really, really appreciate it. Without those guys, we wouldn't have these shows. And I wouldn't, without those guys, I wouldn't be able to afford to call Spain in the middle of the day and uh, get a GP recap from uh, RacerX's own, as well as on-track, off-road, Monster Energy PR, you name it. Adam Wheeler uh, is, does it. What's up, Adam? Hey, you all right? It's, uh, it's the middle of the night for me, so I'm glad, uh, you know, you haven't hit your uh, right. your coffee yet and stuff. I'm probably going to need a bente or whatever, you know, <laughs> coffee you drink. from. I can remember from Bursley, I had to carry a cup back that almost needed, like, two hands to hold. Right, right. Yeah, that's so, uh, good old American sizing. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. You don't, think I, you don't think I got a body like this from uh, European sizing, do you? <laughs> Um, well, hey, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, taking the time. Uh, you're in Spain, right? You're home? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, we're home. Um, you know, obviously, as you guys know over there, we would have had the Grand Prix of Mexico. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute. But, uh, you know, it kind of punched a bit of a hole in the schedule and gave us like two, two free weekends off. So, nice. um, yeah. yeah, just uh, going to enjoy a free one this weekend. Then we go into back-to-back races in France. Uh, followed by Italy, and then we go kind of to Northern Europe, and we have Sweden, uh, Latvia, and Finland in a row. So, okay. so yeah. Um, I guess for, right off the bat, uh, Strybos and uh, DeSalle coming here, racing two nationals. Um, did that catch you by surprise? I'm a little surprised because I, although DeSalle is not on the pace he was you know, last year, the year before, he's still very much in the hunt. And for Rockstar and Suzuki to send him – to do two AMA Nationals, uh, I'm I'm impressed and happy. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it did catch a lot of people by surprise. I mean, we were talking, you know, in the paddock when it was the news came out that the Grand Prix of Mexico was cancelled. It was a case of, well, you know, is anybody going to take up the challenge? Because you know, people were kind of in you know that sort of side of the world, mm-hmm. and you know, there was some talk about Caroli and you know maybe also Hurlings, but. Um, you know, I think KTM have got such a strong race program as it is over in the U.S. that it's a case of like, well, what could those guys possibly add apart from novelty value? And while I think Jeffrey Hollins is, is such a confident person anyway, he would, he would want to like give it a good go. Um, you know, it didn't sort of work out like that. And um, it was really Rockstar that pulled the strings to get the Suzuki boys over there. Mm-hmm. And uh, like Clement, as you know, I think it was Una Dealer a couple of years ago put a good show in, and he's always talked about wanting to go back. So. Um, you know, it's kind of a natural thing. I'm a bit surprised they're doing two rounds, um, mm-hmm. but I guess with like David Millsaps just being out, it was just another big kind of uh, chasm there that Suzuki and Rockstar needed filling. And 
you know, I think uh, originally, right at the beginning, there was talk that Strybos was going to do the whole series, but um, I heard that. Yeah. you know, that was a, that, yeah, that was a bit too radical, I think, for for, Jap- for the Japanese and you know their kind of uh, dedication or pro, you know world championship program. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, you guys have got the the pleasure of seeing them there for for another round, and I, I think you'll see probably a little bit of stronger performances because of the altitude in in Lakewood and stuff uh, probably didn't help so much as well as the one day program. Um, you know, it took Ken Rocks on a whole season to get used to it, but uh, right. you know these. Like like uh, the South said to me in Brazil before you know we kind of uh, uh, the series sort of took a brief pause. He was looking forward to doing a race, a high profile race that didn't really have the pressure of points and counting towards the championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you make? Oh, of their, yeah. What did you make of their finishes? The South six. Yeah, not too bad. Eight, I mean, eight. I thought. Yeah, I mean, I think like you reported as well. I mean, Kevin came through pretty strong uh, after like going down on the first corner, mm-hmm. um, and Clement was predictably quick, and then probably suffered a little bit in that second moto just with with uh, you know the demands of racing at Thunder Valley. So I'd be really cool to see what they do this weekend, like in Tennessee. But um, I mean, I don't know what it'd be at this time of the year, whether it's going to be really really hot or or if that track is you know is particularly tough. But um, you know, the most interesting thing for me, I think a lot of Journalists and people will want to be speaking to those guys when they get back to say, "Listen, how did you find the tracks?" Because, you know, it's something uh, maybe for Supercross. It was a bit of a, a polemic subject this year. Uh, were they too easy? Were they, you know, was it not conducive to good racing? And mm-hmm. some of the tracks over here have been a bit, been a little bit cookie cutter as well. So, um, yeah. you know, it's uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see what those guys thought. I was thinking about Strybos before the race. Someone asked me on Twitter about him, and and like I said, he's pretty old. And I guess I was wrong because he's not that old. But, man, does he seem like he's been around for a long yeah. time. And he's, like, kind of been the up-and-coming star, lost rides, rode for some B teams, and now he's back. He's almost had a couple of careers since Yeah, since absolutely. Pro. I mean, he, he like you said, you, you nailed it on the head there. I mean, he's only 28. But he was like the he was like kind of the hurlings back in the day. I mean, he came through to be a GP rider when he was 16. Yeah. You know, finished runner-up twice uh, to Stefan Everts in the World Championship. Um, I think 2007 it might have been to Steve Ramon almost. Right. But um, but yeah, you know, then he spent a couple of years in injury wilderness, and they thought it was all over. But a couple of podiums last year on a privateer bike in mm-hmm. HM Plant KTM UK, and uh, you know, and he's back on the map. And you know, he's he's got a good personal kind of sponsorship deal going on in Belgium, mm-hmm. and uh, he worked with Harry Everts, like Stefan Everts' yep. father last year, just to get in shape. And you know, it just shows Kevin's like a real big confidence rider, and. You know, if he feels good, he goes. But um, you know, I think what he's had, the program he's had over the last eighteen months, have put him back on the map. And yeah. you know, in GPs, he just he just needs to. He's, he's suffering a little bit with those first couple of laps and getting out the gate and going. Um, but in Brazil, he just he, he he disappeared. He was like a twenty-one-year-old, and you know, like in his first season again. And I think he led something like sixteen out of the nineteen laps until Cairoli got him at the end. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, very much a second wind, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um... All right, so we're almost halfway through the GPS as it as it stands right now. What's uh, what's 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 old is new again. Uh, Antonio Caroli has lost four motos all year. Looks great. Uh, Paul In seems to be the next challenger. Um, before we get too deep into the classes, I want to ask you. Uh, I I've spoken to you about this like at Bercy and uh, earlier this year. Uh, Qatar, Thailand, Brazil, you know, Mexico before it was canceled. I'm is this a positive going to these races like what's the what's the the sense in the paddock about going to these fallway races I had a good conversation with Pitt Byer at one of the Anaheims and I basically said are you guys nuts 
Why would you go there? <laughs> you know, like, why don't you guys get together and tell you, seem we're not going. It's expensive. Uh, the competition isn't deep. And he sort of turned it around on me and said, well, we need to sell bikes in Thailand. We make scooters, you know? Yeah. And he's got a point. But what's your feelings and what's the paddock's feelings on these faraway GPs? You know, the first thing, that, <clears throat> I mean, if you're looking at it from a team's perspective, of course, there's a big budget hike to, to, to make out to, you know, non-European races. But to be honest, you won't find many people around that don't want to do them. I mean, especially like within in the paddock. I mean, Qatar is, is, a, is a fish out of water race. It's, it's completely surreal. You're there in the dark in front of practically nobody. Um, but everybody there was kind of wrapped up very much in the novelty of it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, right press, right the way through to mechanics, to riders, everyone was like, well, this is something different, let's give it a go. Right. You know, and, um, you know, Ustream closed the deal with a pretty big TV network over there for, to, to cover the race and subsequently the series. So, you know, I mean, there is one way of looking at it. You think, well, it's a bit of a fast, you know, like MotoGP, you go there and you race. To, to nobody virtually right. but then the other way of looking at it is that it's, it's it's a new market and the Qataris with all their finances and resources could back anything they wanted to but they picked on this little niche sport mm -hmm. um, you know they built a brand new track and they continue to improve it they're going to have like a real permanent kind of installation there next year um, you know, and it's, uh, I think it's something that should be viewed sort of positively rather than like, well, why are we hiking all the way out there to the desert? Right. I mean, they're going to have the, the FIFA Soccer World Cup there in like, you know, in 2022 or something. It's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think it's, it's, we should be flattered a little bit that they're kind of paying attention to motocross. So, and I've written, uh, written a few places that, you know, it's for somebody of that power and finance, you know, kind of <laughs> in the world to be pimped. Paying attention and backing motocross is a positive thing. It can't be seen as anything else. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I had like tweets and comments, people saying, "Yeah, but there's no crowd, there's no atmosphere." But that that event, that Grand Prix, is not about that. It's about you know, it's a TV event. It's something that's you know, kind of different. It's under the lights. Formula One has tried it. MotoGP's tried it. I mean, Ustream are trying to move the sport a little bit towards kind of a, you know, an attempt to knock into some sort of the mainstream. And, and everybody's going to say, well, okay, motocross isn't that kind of sport. But then, you know, no one's going to say, well, don't give it a try. I mean, try mm -hmm. it at least. You know, right. if, you, if you do it for two or three years and you go to these crazy places and, and you, you mess around with the format and, and, and you want to change the, the, the sport or the essence of it, I mean, try it. I mean, it might fall flat on your face and you, you have to sell the series having not won anything. But, you know, there is a, there is a feeling around the paddock of like, okay, well, this is what it is. We're going to go for it. I think the biggest thing that needs to change is the teams need a bit of support because if you're going to be doing more and more flyaways and you're going to be going to places like Japan and Australia like for a doubleheader like, you know, stint in 2014, then there needs to be a support structure in there. I, I, totally, I totally am behind that. Mm -hmm. I think it's unreasonable for Ustream to, to, you know, want the teams and to up their budget and hike around the places, which, you know, Ustream reasonably say, look, we're providing a world championship. You guys are in our shop window. You know, you, you should, you know, make the resources to get out there. So, you know, there's two perspectives, but, um, right. you know, I think some of us, certainly the guys outside the factory teams, they need some, need some help, some support to get to, to far-flung places. And to be fair, Ustream did in <clears throat> increase the, the stipend for 13, I believe. To help teams. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they put something in place. Something. I mean, there was a bit right. of a sliding scale. So, you know, the, something like KTM, you know, obviously taking like four riders as a factory deal, they got quite a bit of assistance. But some of the, the, the smaller guys, the semi-privateer or the privateer mm -hmm. teams, it's still, you know, a, a, big, a big ask to get out there with, with two riders, you know. Right, right. Um, right. You know, that's where the super final, the super final format of mixing MX1 and MX2, the top 20 kind of came about. 
um, you know, and if you want to talk about the merits or disadvantages of that, there's there's a couple. But um, but yeah, you know, I, I think it's uh, to to expand to make the world championship more cosmopolitan. It's just, it's only a positive thing, Steve. I, I just think there's got to be the right kind of little organization behind it to make sure everybody can not everybody, but most people can get there, right. quality riders, and then uh, you know put on the show. Yeah, let's. Um, well, yeah, I, I just. You know, in these times, I can't believe that uh, the teams want to go there and spend the money. But you know, Pitt did open my eyes a little bit to to the marketing aspect of it, and and, and good for Ustream for giving, you know, giving the teams more. I mean, they, I guess they they got to do more yet. I'm taking it from from your your comments. They they need to do a little more yet to help out. But um, yeah, I think it's it's it certainly is a world championship, right? Although you don't come to America, we tried that. Didn't didn't work. Yeah, out. no, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a real shame. All right, the motocross of nations is going back to Grand Helen, which was a real surprise, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, there needs to be a race in the U.S. and it, there has to be some sort of way of making it happen. I love all these stories of Pitt Byer and like Mitch Payton getting together, having a beer, and saying, "Yeah, we should mix like the last national and the last GP, and mm-hmm. the guys score points with their reflective series and stuff." I think that's a fantastic idea. Yeah. You yeah. know, to get it going, you know. I mean, it's um, you know, politically, it's it's like Everest. But you know, <laughs> right? You got to try it, right? You got to try it. So let's talk about the super final. I, I, I think it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, I, I don't. I've watched them on TV. I, I have this network. I didn't even know, but I have, I have all the races on this BN network, B E I N. It's awesome. So I get to watch them all. Um, okay. I, I just you haven't got my dodgy commentary on there. I have. Mailing, I have you? heard your dodgy commentary. Uh, yes, I have. Right. We'll just mute the sound. Just mute it. <laughs> Uh, you and Malin get along well, so it's it's good. You guys have a natural thing going on. Um, uh, and I also learned that I'm pronouncing a lot of riders' names wrong, too. <laughs> but um, uh, the Super Final, what's the what's the the feeling in the pits? Uh, obviously, um, you know, it probably cost Hurlings a win uh, this last time with Boutron getting away from him. Um, it's pretty hard to pass 450s, especially on that track uh, in Brazil. Do, do you guys like it? Do do is this something that uh, that we can see happening? It's sketchy. I think a lot of um, the 250 guys, of course, hate it. Right. Um, you know, there's maybe one or two that are nailing a start and they're running like top ten. Um, but you know, it's it's sketchy. I mean, there's some big jumps in Qatar. Right. It was, uh, you know, there were some big triples that the 450s were clearing and the 250s only just and. Some guys are making mistakes. It was really, really kind of, whoa. Um, you know, especially the start as well. I mean, that big kind of long looping left-hander, uh, it was scary. I mean, like 40 riders, like, you know, you're talking, you know, majority factory bikes and everything like that just coming around yeah. there. It was a rush of noise and, and uh, I, I don't know, it was a bit of a culture shock. But, um, you know, I think uh, the, the 250 guys don't like it. I mean, the 450 guys kind of see the 250s a bit of a pain in the ass. Uh, for kind of getting in the way, but I think the biggest thing it's got going against it is just um, it's confusing. You know, the yeah. idea is it's supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be one race. Um, you know, and you, the guys who are winning to go well, fighting for the win or going for the podium, they're your they're your guys. You know. Yeah. But um, you know, anyone who remotely knows anything about the sport is trying to work out well that 250 guy is there. You know, that MX2 winner's there, and you know, and trying to work out the points and whoever where everybody is, it's just uh, it's a mess. Um, as a spectacle, you know, in Brazil, I was standing trackside with a, a couple of guys, uh, Mino Espanti, the team manager of the Monster Energy Yamaha team, and Roger Harvey, who 
works for Honda Europe, and, and you know, the, the race just flashed by. I mean, it was like 40 minutes, and wherever yeah. you looked, there was some kind of battling going on, and, mm-hmm. you know, it was really exciting to watch trackside, but I think on the telly, it's just it's chaotic, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's not really serving a purpose. So, I mean, the Brazilians were, were crazy for it, but, uh, you know, as a TV spectacle, I think it's just not going to work. Yeah, yeah. Why, why don't you like it so much? I think it's well. I think it's dangerous. I think it's definitely dangerous to put two sizes of bikes out on the track at the same time. We saw it in Supercross when well, there's, there still is a, um, and of course Supercross much tighter, much more confined. We saw 250s being allowed to race with 450s if you wanted to do it. Um, it didn't work out either. Nobody really does it because of that. Simply, you know, 450s are so much more powerful and so much able to jump things. I just think it's kind yeah. of sketchy. And then you're not showcasing. You know, the the whole reason for the under-23 rule, which is also ridiculous, is to bring up new stars and create new stars and new, new, new guys to cheer for and also boost the confidence of these guys. Well, you're burying them in the back with the 450s. I mean, how does that highlight that class and those teams? You know, it doesn't. It doesn't yeah, shine I mean, the it, light on it. Yeah, it's prejudiced against MX2. I mean, I, but, I hear what you're saying. It's... Uh... It's a tough one to call, you know, and that's why, you know, I think we are heading towards a kind of premier MXGP class rather than MX1 and MX2. Um, I think it'll be pretty much a rebranding of MX1, um, you know, and where it leads the 250s. I mean, we really should be doing this podcast maybe in, you know, three or four weeks' time when there's been this uh, big meeting in Geneva with the, the FIM, Ustream, and the teams and the MSMA. Um, the manufacturers kind of all agreeing on, on a direction of the sport for 2014, but... You know, uh, the fate of MX2, I really have no idea. I think the brands want to keep it, want to keep the 250s, of course, because they, they sell a lot of them. Right. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just so hard to say. I think that the purpose of the Super Final was to create this kind of one-off spectacle. It didn't matter what you were riding. Um, and it was only, you know, going to work for four races this year in 2013. Right. So I think I, I don't think it will continue. I think it's, like you say, there's too many, uh, there's yeah. too many problems with it. So, um, but I mean, it's like I said, trackside. It's just phenomenal to watch. But um, you know, like you say, that it is for the 250s. It sucks. Right, and yeah, no doubt. Um, what's what's going on with the entries? Obviously, the faraway ones. We see that you know we know why they're down. But man, um, you know, 18 guys in Bulgaria. I think it yeah. was um, in in the MX1 class. This is the yeah. premier class. What? What's going on, in your opinion? What's happening? This isn't good. And then, of course, I read the Giuseppe Luongo comments about uh, the 450s are too fast. We, we, that's why there's no entry. I mean, this is just smearing crap on, a, on another problem, in my opinion. Uh, it's smearing chocolate on a, on a poop sandwich. It's, 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 clearly, <laughs> it's clearly the you know, teams are not finding it advantageous to go racing. Or is there another yeah. problem? What, what's, your, what's your take on it? Yeah, I mean, there's, you could ask. Well, you could say the sport's in flux a little bit, and whether it's right or wrong, the riders have to bring their own money to teams or bring their own sponsors to teams. You know, there are teams out in the paddock that exist that way, where the, you know, where they're paying nothing if not minimal salaries to the riders, and you know, if those guys can't bring the cash in, then the team doesn't really support them or exist. Mm. So that's kind of one problem that's inherent a little bit. And, and will motocross be able to move into that phase? that's not particularly desirable to people that have followed the sport for 30 to 40 years is one kind of impertinent question. But, yeah. you know, I think that will go on for another five or ten years, you know, as, as people, maybe teams struggle to find financing or brands cut back on support, blah, blah, blah. 
But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, there were not many bikes in the Gator Bulgaria. It's a bit of a trek to go in Europe. I mean, if you're, yeah. if you're thinking the majority of, of race teams are based kind of, you know, in Western Europe, in France, Belgium, Holland, UK, Italy, Spain, um, you know, it's to, mm-hmm. to, to get to Bulgaria is a long way. But, you know, they're just, uh, it, it is pricey for the teams to race GPs. And, you know, there is, there is not really the carrot on the end of the string for them to keep going if, if you're not a well-financed outfit. So that's that's the shame of it. The 450s, this is the big question. I mean, are they too much for people to ride? You know, some people say no, some people say yes. The, the guys that say yes are usually racing kind of the 250s and, and maybe a little bit wary of the stepping up. But, you know, I mean, I think that the 23 age rule, like you say, I don't think it's something positive. I mean, I know why it's there, right. and it's clear why it's there, because if you if you abolished it, then you would have even less numbers racing MX-1, because... Some guys like Rui Gonsalves or maybe Sean Simpson or, you know, a couple of the fringe guys in, in MX1 on the edge of the top 10 would, would get a good deal go, to go back to MX2. You'd probably have a stronger MX2 class, but then it would hurt kind of MX1, which is being promoted and molded as this kind of premier division. So, you know, it, it, that cap there is really to try and filter the fastest talent. Like this year, you have Joel Rollins on a factory Yamaha. You have Jeremy Van Horbeck on the factory Kawasaki with mm-hmm. Paul you know, those guys may have stuck around MX2 for another year or two to see if they can try and win that championship. Yeah. Now they've been kind of forced to go MX1. So, well, you know, they, uh, you know, they, they, I don't know. The reason they, I think the reason they did it is because they, they had, they want to make sure they've got enough entries, right? There's always the young kids that'll try to get MX2 if it's, if it's wide open. And then this way they'll force entries into the MX1 class. But clearly with 18 guys on the line, that, that, that plan has backfired. And yeah. to turn around and say that it's now bike sizes is, is, is insane to me. Adam, I cannot believe, like, your business model, whatever it is, needs to be revamped. It's chasing, yeah. it's keeping people from racing. And um, it's disappointing as a, as a longtime fan of the GPs. I, I don't know what's going on. And now, like you said, some sort of super MX1 class on different sizes. I'm just like, no, the problem is, is it's not advantageous to go racing. I'm not going to be the typical American and rail on the purse money. Not not being paid. I understand that. That makes sense. Yeah. It, it, there's there's a model where I can see where you don't pay purse money to riders. I can understand that, but the the backbone isn't there to support the no purse money anymore. The backbone's now gone. You know, and yeah, and we're seeing the results of it, and, and it's a real shame in my opinion. I I don't know what has to be done, but but clearly something needs to be done, and it's not. It's not changing the bike size. It's not making one class. It's none of this. None of that is what's going to change things. It's you've got to make it worthwhile for these teams to go racing. That's bottom yeah, line. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, I hear you. It is a business model. I mean, usually we'll argue they're building a pyramid structure. You know, you've got guys that are doing regional 65, 85 European championships, then going to one, two, five, two strokes, then working their way up to European MX2. Excuse me, which is on the 250s and then into MX2, but then what's going to happen to MX2? And then, you know, in theory, you work your way up onto a premier team and then you're racing kind of MX1 or what it may be MXGP. So they'll argue that pyramid structure's there and they built a kind of a model around it to to encourage riders to filter through that rather than just like, you know, hey, I'm I'm pretty good, I'm fast, I might try and qualify for a Grand Prix this weekend because I'm doing well in my national championship, which is how it's always been. Right. Um, you know, and, and for that state of flux and that attitude to change, is, there's going to be, you know, a, a pretty rocky road, I think, to that. Um, I mean, should should it be done? That That is the golden question. 
you know. But, um, you know, the reason why, you know, I get people tweeting me saying, oh, say the truth and blah, 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 what do you think about GPs? And the truth is that, you know, I'm there every weekend. And, you know, if you think that another company is going to come in and suddenly give purse money, suddenly going to create this open rule book where everybody's going to be happy and do stuff, it's just not going to happen because the sport won't be able to sustain itself because it's not, you know, it's not a mega rich, huge mainstream sport. It needs, you know, it needs right. some sort of direction. So, well, it, but I don't it, know. It, I mean, I, I understand, and I understand there are some wild cards for local riders, right? So it's not like a, every local rider is shut up. That that's a yeah. Over here, you hear that, you know. Uh, there are wild cards, I believe, that are granted to race GPs, which I'm glad because you know a guy like Travis Parker nowadays, we need a guy like Travis Parker to be able to show up and win. You know, well, how about that story yeah. back in the day? But um, something's going on. I mean, something's worse over here. Our our entries are as strong as ever, and and you know, yeah, the downturn in the economy hurt, and uh, moving to Saturday hurt the Nationals for a little bit as well as, um, you know, some of the track changes probably people aren't pumped on. But the bottom line is there's entries every weekend. They're sending 40 guys home. Now, don't even make yeah. motos, you know. And, and to have 18 MX1 guys, it's just, I mean, something's wrong. So, yeah. I don't know. Is, is this – I mean, yeah. you've been doing this a I long mean, time. You're, you're, so, you're so lucky kind of over there, but it's – you know, in, in Europe and, and for this kind of world view, you know, you you don't have like like a Supercross series to lean back on. You're going to have to create this show, right. something that, you know, is, is the sport, a motocross, what everybody knows and loves and, and has grown up and, and, you know, has followed for years. But also you're going to have to try and glitz it up. You're going to have to make a show of it. You're going to have to try and, you know, get sort of uh, into a position where the mainstream sponsors or media or anything will just like even have a sideways glance at it. So something, you know, there has to be a right. compromise there, well, you know, and if that does mean restricting, you know, well, putting kind of financial stuff in place whereby, you know, people are going to be trimmed out, then that's, that's part of the kind of, you know, the necessary evil, I guess. I, I understand that. But th- this model with the no purse money, uh, teams paying to enter, has been around for, what, 10 years now? Um, yeah, I think 2004, I think, was the first year. And it's hard to argue that five, just five years ago, in 2008, that the series was worse off than it is today. It is going in a direction that is downward. There's no doubt from even five years ago, when the economy was probably, at least over here, an all-time low. Of course, because I bought my house yeah. right around then, so I know this. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, and so in five years, it has noticeably gone down and and. and why? You know, what, what's wrong with that? What's going on? Well, I think finally... How do you, why do you think it's gone down? In what way? Well, just the number of, of riders that are entered. The, the quality I mean, of... Could, the, the in quali- 2008, we had... I mean, if you just want to look on the track, you had maybe 2008 with Josh Coppins, did he won 2007, 2008. Okay, that was a half-decent year because you had, like, the Dyker, Ramon, Philip Hartz, you know, and then in MX2, you had Rattray, Searle, Cairoli, you know, going for the championship. So... You know, it was, you know, on the track, it was a, a pretty good year. You're still going to two places like South Africa, I think right. we went to. You know, we're going, you, I mean, if you stand back and, again, look at it as like a guy who's watching football, watching basketball, watching whatever on the telly and, like, flicks over, he's going to see a night race in Qatar. He's going to see a, oh, there's a Grand Prix of Thailand. Oh, hang on, they're in Brazil now. You know, I mean, if you're, if you're that kind of distance fan, 
then maybe it's it's just, it's looking better. You know, you've got the whole monster show and GPs. It's the 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 event and the circuits all tied up. It's um you know outward from the outside it looks like it's it's kind of booming. You know, but yeah, I mean you could say 18 riders on the line is, is doesn't you know it doesn't bode well. It doesn't look like a sign of health. But uh, you know it's um, you know if you're on the inside and you think well that's not motocross. It's not 40 riders in the gate. There's not like 40 riders being sent home. Then yeah, you're right. But then, you know, there's also other facets of it, which Ustream are trying to do. They're trying to, you know, convince the fan that maybe, like, flicking through channels or whatever to try and tune in across. And that's why it's hard, so hard to criticize it, because, you know, who doesn't want that sport to be bigger? Who doesn't want the sport to try and get onto new TV channels? Who doesn't want it to be in their new newspaper on a Sunday morning, you know? So it's... Um, it's just that kind of perspective, I guess. Well, I mean, that's that's all well and good, but, the, you know, the separate <laughs> the separate issue is that there's... The sport's never been weaker as far as the field. And sure, yeah. the faraway GPs, I get it. The super final, the, the reason you're doing the super final is because you don't have enough bikes because you're not getting enough teams to go there. That's why there's a super final. That's why there's yeah. an under 23 rule in MX2 because you do not have the proper amount of riders showing up. And but then, Steve, if you had, like, 20 riders in the gate that were well-supported, well-funded, yeah. and, you know, at a decent level, and then, you know, realistically, what, you're going to have maybe 12, 13 guys really battling hard? Or is it important to have, like, 40 riders in the gate where, well, you know, the, the, the backward 18, you know, are struggling, you know, being lapped, barely able to sort of present themselves, get to the, the race, all that stuff? You know, that's, that's uh, another way of looking at it. It's, you well, know, I mean, they, how many you know, how many decent riders do you need to make a race? I know I went to GPs in '09 and there was a full gate of 30 guys. That yeah. that looked pretty good to me. You know, uh, MX2 guys were were pretty fast. They looked great. Um, I was there, you know, watching a full gate of guys, and everything seemed okay. And and now they award points down to 20 places, and they don't even have 20 guys at them. I mean, come yeah. on! Yeah. Like a, a contender falls in the first turn. And he gets up and he's in tenth before you know it. That's not motocross. That's not, you know, that's not competitiveness. Yeah. But anyways, we can go around and around. And if, <laughs> if I keep arguing with you, no, I mean, honestly, your 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 viewpoint is right. You know, I mean, what you're saying is correct. It's just, just uh, you know, it's just uh, the GPs are kind of heading off on a little bit of a tangent in a different direction at the moment. And it's kind of like those those top ten, those top you know twelve. They're they're trying to make them superstars and trying to you know get them to a new audience. So right, right. Okay. whether it's right or wrong, that's 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 the the question to sort of have a couple of beers and talk yeah. about for several hours over. You know. Yeah, and, and if I keep talking, you're not going to buy me my coffee again. Person, <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to. Well, quiet. It'll, be, it'll be cold before you can drink it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, it's that time again. Thanks for listening to the Racer X podcast show. Brought to you by BTOsports.com. Presented by Thor MX. I appreciate it. Don't forget to click on the Amazon banner on PulpMX.com to help out PulpMX.com. We appreciate it. Listen to these commercials. Buy from these sponsors. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.
Racer X Podcast Show is brought to you by BTOsports.com. Whether you are looking for new gear, helmets, boots, or you need to rebuild your bike from the ground up, BTO is your source for all of your motocross needs. As a proud sponsor of the BTO Sports KTM race team and the heart of the BTO Sports amateur motocross team, it is obvious that we are about more than being just a store. We support the sport that supports us. us. We at BTO Sports want to give back to you, the listener, for supporting us and the Racer X Podcast Show. Use coupon code PULPMX when placing your order at btosports.com for a VIP listener discount. Certain brand restrictions will apply. For 2013, JT Racing enters its next generation with the all-new Evolve Lite, ProTech, Enduro, and Limited Edition collections, taking quality and innovation to a whole new level. Also available in youth sizes, each collection is built with high-grade materials offering its own unique characteristics to meet the demands of today's riders, both recreationally and competitively. To find a dealer or view the entire collection online, log on to JTRacingUSA.com. Championship proven. Many motocross apparel brands make that claim, but only Thor can back it up. As America's first motocross apparel brand, Thor has set the standard for delivering the highest quality performance racewear on the market for the past 45 years. With champions like Ryan Villapoto, Blake Baggett, and Dean Wilson to name a few, our products truly are championship proven. To see all the new 2013 products, visit ThorMX.com or head to your local Thor Parts Unlimited dealer. Thor, the official racewear of Supercross. All right, let's let's get on to um, – um, no, we've solved nothing there. Uh, <laughs> when, when, actually, when is right. this meeting? You said in a month? And there's a big meeting in a month with the manufacturers? Yeah. Everybody? Yeah, yeah, we've, got a, yeah we've got a race in France and then Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Majora, by the way, which should be pretty cool yeah. going back there for the Pump first up. time in, right. I don't know, 25-odd years or something. So, um, yeah, and then after that, I believe it happens in Geneva. So I'm sure there'll be some press release coming out and saying, well, guys, this is where we want to, this is where we want to take motocross. And, you know, it will be done with, you know, either the grudging support or the full support of, like, uh, the key people, you know, the brands and right. that kind of make up the sport. I, I, I liked Roger Harvey's comment, Mr. Harvey's comment. Uh, we know what size bike we make and what we'll be selling, and it's a 450. Yeah. So... Um, good luck with that if you if you change the, the bike size. Um, <laughs> I but, think that's a whole other can of worms, you know. I, know, um, right? I can't see that I can't see the Japanese going for that. I mean it's like Sylvain Gabors as well said in an interview to me, it was uh, you know, this is such a small sport that the Japanese do not make bikes and engines and technology specifically for Grand Prix racing. Right. You right. know, or for the AMA nationals, it's you know, they make an engine um and develop this technology so they can put it in a I don't know, a snowmobile or a jet ski or whatever, you know. It's, it's, it's something that has to be kind of versatile. So the sport's just not big enough to develop specific machinery. So, to, you know, maybe in five years you might see more 350s or something, but like people say, there's only one wow. 350 in the gate at the moment and it's being ridden by a guy who's, you know, in my eyes, probably one of the very best I've seen. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's not like it's a bike for everyone. Even no. though Kevin Strivers did do his uh, career renaissance on a 350 last year. Um, oh, is that 350 he rode last know? year? I, I didn't yeah, he rode a 350 yeah. last year. That's and everybody great. said at the start of the year that he's going to do nothing on that bike. Right. And then he got three podiums. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it does work. Yeah, well, anybody, I mean, 450s may be too much. And if you if you are in the camp that you think they are too much, then blame our lovely AMA for never <laughs> realizing that, 
you know, a 400 four stroke, a four, well, actually the rule was 550. You know, they never wow. dreamed of a 550 four stroke ever being competitive with 250s. And then when Yamaha sh- said surprise and the bike was dominant, they still didn't react fast enough. <laughs> and eventually they went from 550 to 450, but truly the rule should have been a 350 four stroke. And we might not, who knows where we'd be right now if Yamaha had not, you know, taken advantage of a badly written rule by the AMA. That's revisionist history, but, you know, we might not be on four strokes if it wasn't for that. Because when that bike came out, it was so much better than a two stroke. But, anyways. Yeah, I mean, you've got people like Clement DeSalle saying they love the power, they want more power, because that's that's how they ride the bike. But then you've got other riders that are using, you know, like this GPA technology from Get. To, on the electronics just mm-hmm. to, to temper the thing down so when they crack open on the throttle on the corners it's just you know it's like uh, the, the, the power's like pulsing yeah, rather yeah. than like coming straight on and like potentially throwing them off right. so it's um, you know is it too much I don't know I mean I, there was a big thing like you know four or five years ago wasn't there in Supercross where it was like the 450s are killing everybody and it was yep. like too big and too fast and nobody can manage them but you know, like everybody says, okay, Ryan Villapoto is a special, special talent. But um, you know, he rides that thing like it's you know, like it's not like a four fifty at all. No, no, absolutely. Um, all right, let's get on to some real racing. Um, Paul Gauthier Paulin has really stepped up this year. Caroli's lost four motos. He once again looks to be the heavy favorite to win this title. But but more times than not, Paulin and not DeSalle have been the guy. Um, what do you? What do you make of Goche's uh, step up this year? Yeah, I mean, he it was his first year in MX1 last year, so you know he had to get better this year. He's, he's on a great, he's on a French, you know, factory Kawasaki team. That team is built around him basically, um, and you know it, it, he's always just struggled a little bit with with his starts. I mean, for me, he's one of the most technical riders in in Grand Prix. I mean, his his, his movement and the way he handles the bike is is, is quite special to watch. But uh, you know, if he doesn't start kind of top five, then, you know, he struggles to catch like Cairoli or, mm-hmm. you know, whoever else has got a bit of a sprint on. Um, so, you know, he's, he's done better at this year, but whether he's still got that kind of consistency, because when he has a bad day, it's just not as good as Cairoli's bad day. Right. So, um, you know, he, I think he'll tag along with, with Tony, and, um, you know, if you can start ahead of him, there's a, there's a good chance of a good race, but... You know, um, I thought Clement de Sao actually would be a bit closer this year, but yeah. I think he has just been, you know, in the first few races, uh, like in 2011, I think he won, he won like three out of the first five rounds. Yes. And he just started so strong until he had like a, you know, a crash in a Belgian championship and basically wrecked his season. Um, and he hasn't done a national championship since, by the way. But, uh, you know, it's, you know, he, he's just started a little bit too slowly for my liking. I mean, okay, we started the end, there was 18 Grand Prix, so you think, well, he's got enough time to really build into the campaign. But, mm-hmm. you know, he's already, I'm not too sure what the points difference is now, but it's more than a Grand Prix behind, behind Cairoli. So, you know, he's got to get a move on. And then in Portugal, he had a big off. Um, you I know, you can that. see it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you just Google the South Portugal, you'll see this huge crash. <laughs> yeah. um, and you know, it's uh, you know that, the, but that GP he was just struggling to pass. You know, he's been struggling to pass there, and also in Brazil, he was you know trying, kind of anxious, just trying to get past these guys to move up. So um, you know, he's, he's he needs to do better because I think he you know has got that consistency a little bit more than Paul Anne to get near Cairoli. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems to. Seems to have fallen off the map a little bit. So he hasn't raced a national championship since since the crash. He's just been G- yeah. GP only. 
<laughs> yeah, GP only. I mean, you, um, you could say is that a detriment or not? Because you know, in 2011, 2010, he was hot. And then last year, I mean, he had a couple of personal problems as well, like family bereavements as well, which knocked him for six a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Clemens not too easy to talk to, and that comes from, like, developing his English over the years and also a couple of bad experiences with journalists where he was sort of misquoted and, you know, he appeared kind of as the villain in a few articles. So that made a little kind of a shell of mistrust, if you like. Right. Um, but, you know, I did a huge interview with him in Brazil. Um, you know, we spoke for like an hour and a half, and... You know, it's sort of, you get a little bit of an insight into the mindset, really. And he's a guy who doesn't bother with, like, social media or much of his profile and stuff like that. He just he just likes to get out there and race. He's from a, a small town in Belgium in the French side. And, you know, he doesn't really care about much apart from just, like, getting on and doing the job. So, right. you know, there's a lot of people out there, you know, who like that kind of that kind of athlete. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, but he needs, to, he needs to not grow a set, but he has to, like, you know, get a bit more aggressive because... Uh, you know, he used to ruffle a few feathers in the last couple of years, but he hasn't quite done that yet. So, um, we'll see. Have you? Is this the best you've seen Antonio Caroli ride? And I mean, you've been covering the GPS for a long time. Oof. Is this? I mean, he was immense last year. For me, last year was the best. You know, and it was only natural people were saying to him, "Listen, are you going to go over and have a crack at the American riders and stuff?" Because, I mean, you saw him in Lommel as well. I mean, he was just untouchable. You know, it was. Uh, there was a guy at the peak of fitness, confidence, form, everything. Mm-hmm. So um, this year, like everybody says, if you ask anybody about him, they'll just say he's smart. He's a smart, smart rider. You know, if he's, if he's, he knows his limits. But um, you know, he's also exciting. He's the ultimate catch-up guy. You know, he'll be in second, third, or fourth, and he'll just keep plugging away. Yeah. You know, and then when the other guys tire or make a mistake, then he's there. Um, he's a bit like kind of Valentino Rossi. Rossi's always talking about riding fun, and when he's having fun, he's going fast. And that's what Tony's like. It just seems like the guy always, always has an appetite to race and do well. Yeah. So, well, um, you know, for me, he's he's, he's going to be the reference for you know another two to three years as long as he doesn't get hurt. Yeah, he needs to come over here and race a little bit at some point. I know it's pretty hard to do with the schedules and everything, but I tell everybody, you know, he's a world class talent and rider and person and. Man, I'd love, love to see him race some nationals here. Just do it like a two weekend or what, what, which is what his buddies are doing right now. Be pretty good. Yeah, I um, did. I did wonder if you would do it. You know, mm-hmm. um, at least go to the to Thunder Valley. But um, you know, Jill, his girlfriend, who's you know got a great sort of public persona because she supports him so much. She basically said, you know, if we do it, it'll be last minute and it'll be a bit of a surprise for everyone. So we we're kind of waiting to see if he would go. But yeah. Um, you know, in the end, uh, you know, like you, there's a lot of people around him who said, look, it's not a good idea, don't do it. So, yeah. And one of the reasons why Tony is so successful is he has a crew, a nucleus of people around him that just are so strong and so supportive. Um, right. It's um, it's quite, actually, if you come, you've been to a few GPs and hung out, but, you know, if you come and you see that little Italian collective, then it's... Uh, <laughs> You know, it's a, it's a real kind of cliched family, you know, ethos there. But, I mean, the guy's just, just totally at home. Yeah. But it's really funny, actually, because in the last race in Brazil, in Brazil, the, the, the fans are nuts. They go absolutely mental, you know. They're screaming and shouting, shouting like soccer match, like, you know. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, I tweeted something like Jeffrey Herlings would have to change his name to, like, Jeffro, you know, like uh, Herlinandes or something because yeah, yeah. they were just, you know, you know, you think he was Brazilian. But I was walking back through, like, from the press room to the paddock alongside Tony, and you saw the people going, oh, look, it's Kai Rowley. Right, like, right, right. And then there this surge, this wave of, like, you know, it must have been over, like, nearly 100, 200 people just, like, heading towards him. And it was like, 
you know, it was kind of a bit of an insight as to what it was like to be that kind of riding celebrity, you know. Yeah. And Jill was saying, stay with him, stay with him, he's not going to make it. So, we, <laughs> you know, I had to kind of, uh, you know, I was doing my bodyguard bit and yeah, you know, yeah. funny yeah. made it for the paddock, so, um, yeah. Hey, he seems like, for a guy that's putting ass-kicking on the field for so many years, I think he's very well-liked with other racers. Am I, am I right? It seems like he has the other racers like him, uh, respect him. Um, he's well-liked. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's got to a point where other teams say, listen, if you want a championship, you'd have to get your checkbook out and sign Cairoli. Um, <laughs> you know, because he, he is held in that regard. Um, not by Clement DeSalle, I think. You know, those yeah. guys are not, there's not much love lost there. Yeah. But, um, Besides him. <laughs> you know, yeah. he is, he, yeah, he's, he's, he's a man. Right. Um, Tommy Searle, i uh, got to be honest, I, yeah. thought he, I thought he'd be better. I thought he'd be closer. Uh, what's your take yeah. on his season? I think he's, um, I mean, let's not forget, he's kind of, he's in a, a well-supported Kawasaki team, but it's not factory. I mean, it's got that link with sort of Mitch and Pro Circuit and that material there. But um, I don't, you know, he doesn't have that kind of level of support that guys like Bobby Sheff and Nago have in Honda and DeSalle has in Suzuki, Kairoli and KTM and so on. You know, so I think that's counting a little bit. He's just trying to find his way with that bike at the moment. I mean, he broke his finger in Portugal, which, you know, hindered him a little bit, even though he had a great ride to come back from, like, outside the top ten to third. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it will come. I mean, he was, he was, you could say maybe he was being a little bit cocky preseason and saying, I'm going to win a race, I'm going to get some podiums. But, um, you know, that, that class is, you know, not sort of super stacked, but it's, it's hard. Right. At the front, there's, there's, those guys are really pushing hard, and it's, you know, I think maybe Tony did kind of uh, overestimate it or underestimate it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, Tommy, Tommy, sorry, and, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll come good. I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll get the podiums, I believe. He'll get better. So, so Paulin's, on uh, a, Paulin's think, bike is better. Paulin's is full factory. Kawasaki? Yeah, he's got that yeah. factory Kawasaki, yeah. Okay. So, so, so Searle's just got sort of Mitch, and um, it's not a CLS team, really. It's something like that, though, right? Like a Mitch Payton side yeah, team? Yeah, it's, it's a strange sort of hybrid. I mean, you right. could say it's like the pro, the pro Circuit GP team with, um, you know, big help from Kawasaki as a, like, premier satellite team. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, he doesn't. I don't think he wants for anything particular when it comes to the technical side, but just trying to get it sorted out and ready because that team has always been predominantly 250. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, again, for Mitch. So it's, uh, you know, I mean, he's like Tommy's fit and he's confident and, you know, he's, uh, he's a guy that's, you know, extremely talented. So mm-hmm. for me, he's still, you know, the main guy. I mean, out of Van Horbeck and Roland's like the premier kind of MX1 rookies this year. That's Tommy's what I was going to say. He's, yeah, good results. he's better than those guys, and they're in the same boat as him, sort of top MX2 guys who had to move up. Um, yeah, I mean, Roland's is on the factory yam, but, I mean, he had a horrible accident last year in August uh, at the British GP and dislocated a hip. So, I mean, he took all winter to come back from that, and then he mm-hmm. got a concussion in Italy. So, again, he's always like playing catch-up. Um, so you know, have to see where you can get him. Van Horbeek's been getting slowly, slowly better, mm-hmm. but uh, he hasn't really got the condition to to, to run with Paul Ann, for example. And Bobrashev, I was really hoping I, I've gotten to oh, interview yeah. him and talk to, talk to Bobby, and I really enjoy him. He's a good guy. I spoke, caught up to him at the Disnations again. Um, I was really hoping he'd be able to stay injury free, but but no go on that. He's having a tough year. Yeah, I mean, I went to speak to him in Brazil, and he looked at me and said. 
you um, didn't you, you didn't come and speak to me in Portugal, did you? And I, this is after the race. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, no. He goes, yeah, because in Portugal I was shit, and you didn't come and speak with me. That's <laughs> <laughs> just the kind of typical thing he'd say, you know. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, uh, um, mm, yeah, well, you know, you, you know, you got hurt in practice and you weren't racing. Yeah. So I'm just trying to sort of get my way out of it. But right. yeah, I mean, that guy's just a powerhouse, and you know, again, another confidence rider, and so charismatic as well. You, you just, you know, you'd spend five minutes with him and you want him to do well. Yeah, yeah, good And guy. that bike is so exotic and so special and made for him. It's, um, you know, Max Nagel as well. I think we got to see, we'll see a lot more of him in the second half of the season. Yeah, he, um, he's, he's getting so, better lately. Max is getting better, a couple podiums lately. Yeah, the, the ultimate starter. I mean, he's the fastest guy at the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they sorted that bike out for him. He likes a lot of bottom end. He's been his whole hit, whole career on a KTM. Mm-hmm. So I think they're, they're, they're KTMing that Honda a little bit for him. And, you know, it's working out. And, again, coming back from a virus that kind of basically knocked him out and made him lose sort of, you know, a whole load of body weight in Qatar and Thailand. Um, when he's 100%, he'll be another front runner. I, I've always paid attention when he's around a Diker, which seems quite a bit because <laughs> you know Diker's got his ride basically, and yeah, you know Max has to be pretty damn motivated to uh, to beat the Diker. Yeah, I mean also Ken, you could say he's on a clock. I mean he's riding you know alongside Kai Rowley there on the factory KTM, but what is Jeffrey Herlin's going to do next year? Because he is absolutely cakewalking MX2. Um, the most natural move would be to put him on an MX1 bike next to Kai Rowley. I mean that'll be a team of immense proportions. Um, but don't forget, you know, like KTM have taken over Husqvarna. So, you know, you could see some orange bikes kind of painted white and, you know, in, in mm-hmm. the championship next year. Uh, I don't think it will be, uh, you know, a like full factory team on the level that KTM run. But, you know, you could see something really kind of cool and interesting like, you know, Jeffrey Hurley's riding Husk- factory Husqvarna in MX2 or, right. you know, there could be some sort of, sort of you know, curveball like that thrown. Uh, your surprise rider in MX1 this year Who, who's uh who's really caught your eye surprise yeah like um, it doesn't even need to be somebody who you know who's had good rides or here and there um um i mean did you think paul yeah. would step up this much did you no i think paul was was you know he was always going to be there okay um you know i mean you I mean you say you haven't been too impressed, but I think Tommy's been doing all right. Okay. You know, as again as a rookie, like on a 450, he's, he started well. He's got the speed. Um, you know, there's there's not many kind of guys that have been stand out for me as outside of the regular crew. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess so I hold uh, Tommy Searle in higher regard than you, Adam. You know, as a fellow <laughs> countryman, you think you'd be all over him, but no, I guess you're not. No. Um, not yet. Uh, hey, uh, Philiparts, is he? Yeah, of course he's a little different guy from what I gather. He's a little different of a of a guy, but uh, as a former world champion and a long is he like a Kevin Windham over here? I mean, if people like he's on a new team this year, um, but he's soldiering along. It's good to see him do that, right? It's, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're talking about a guy who for the last two years has has had to curtail his season through smashed up wrists. Right. So. You know, he's coming back, and, you know, I mean, a couple of times I spoke to him after races this year, he says, ah, oh, you know, this track's been hard on my wrist, been hard on my arm, so oh, still, you do yeah. fear for him a little bit, and you think, well, you know, you're gonna, are you going to be able to get back to that, that, you know, that condition where you'll be able to sort of win GPs again? Mm-hmm. Um, I hope so, but, you know, I mean, if there's anyone that's like a complete and utter motocross head case, then it's David. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, this is guy, this guy, is, his whole life is about the sport and dedicating himself to racing and being fit, so... 
I mean, he's a cool guy as well, and he, he sort of mellowed a little bit being out of that kind of factory team spotlight and that pressure. Yeah. I mean, he's on the the fact he's on the Honda Gary Border team, which you know is a satellite of the the factory Honda guys. Um, so you know, he's just fighting his way back, and he he finished like eighth or something or seventh or eighth in a, in a moto the other day. He said, "Look, that's where I am at the moment because I'm just building my way back up." So. Um, you know, again, he's a, he's a guy that's well respected and held, you know, in high regard in the paddock. So yeah, in that yeah. respect, he is the Wyndham figure. Yeah. So you know, I mean, Kevin always used to pop up and nearly get a podium or near a podium, didn't yeah. he? Every Supercross year. Every here and, and there, I think yeah. you know, David David will get one race where it'd be like that, and everyone will be chuffed for him. <laughs> yeah, that'll that'll be it. Uh, MX2. Let's move on to there. All right. So Hurling's lost a moto, amazingly. <laughs> um, yeah. Does he? Okay. So we're done with Super Finals. Does he lose a moto yeah. the rest of the year? Oh, good question. I mean, um, very you... tough to see that unless something's got to break, you know. <laughs> I mean, can you really go through 17 GBs? And I mean, he had a mechanical problem last year when him and Tommy were fighting really close for the championship. I think it was in Lavio's bike popped. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that's the only way it's going to happen because this guy is, he's won races from the front. He's won races mid-pack. He's fallen on the first turn. Um, he's like, you know, I mean, we're making jokes at him saying, can you please like try into the gate backwards or something? Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, that was the only way that it was really going to be turning into a, into, you know, something of a contest. And just I mean, be- I think you, you tweeted to me or something like round three, hey, I'll save your job for you. Kyrodian Hurlings win again. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah. thanks for that. <laughs> you know, motivate me just before the race right. started. Well, I mean, is there anyone close to his speed? I mean, can, is there somebody who's, who uh, is coming? Is there a track coming up where one of his competitors shines and perhaps can give him a race? Steve, I don't think there's anyone close even in MX1. <laughs> I don't think you really? know. I mean, he's he's setting lap times that would put him on the podium in MX1. It's it's yeah. not. Um, you know, he, he is in a different class, literally and figuratively okay. and whatever. Yeah. You know, but the, the the shame of it is, is that behind him there's like you know six or seven guys that would be going for the win. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you kind of look at the battle for second, third, fourth, it's just you know there's right. there's different guys there every week from like Bouchon from Spain for Max Anstey's been there once or twice on on the factory Suzuki. Dean Ferris is an Australian that's coming up on the on the Yamaha. I mean, uh, you've got Glenn Koldenhoff, who's another Dutchie on a KTM, Jake Nichols on a KTM. I mean, yeah. I could reel off, like, you know, 10 guys, and that's where the show is. So, you oh. know, I mean, in the KTM, they were a bit worried about Jeffrey. They were like, listen, just take it easy. You know, if you lose motivation, then, you know, as the cliche goes, that's when the mistakes come and you, right. you, you risk something. But, um, he, you know, he's, he's untouchable. He seems to have tamed it a bit off the track, a little bit. It's, this Twitter feed is still entertaining, but... Um... <laughs> that's a good word for it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's still an 18-year-old kid, you know, an right. 18-year-old kid that's been racing Grand Prix since he was 15. Right, um, right. So he's had to kind of grow into that limelight and deal with all that tension. And, you know, he's the reigning world champion, so he's rich, He's he's got attention, he's got girls, <laughs> he's got... I mean, you remember when you were 18, you tried dealing with all that. Oh, I think people yeah. got to come a bit of slack. He was a bit wild last year, and he did some crazy stuff off the track. But then, you know, if you were at school, you'd be, you know, thinking, well, okay, this guy's a bit crazy, but you wouldn't think it was abnormal, some of the trouble he was causing, you know? Right, so. right, right. Okay. Um, Ferris has been a surprise to me. I understand. I didn't even – he tried to race GPs last year and got hurt early, I think. I didn't even – 
Is that do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's right. He came over for a couple of wild card rides, I mm-hmm. think, uh, in two thousand and ten and then he did the Australian championship which he led until like the final round in eleven. Yeah. And then last year he was riding for Kimi Raikkonen's team, um, you know, the Formula One driver. Uh, he was doing that. He actually led a motor in Brazil in the rain, um, and then yeah, and then he dislocated his shoulder. I think that put him out. Right. But then, like you know, I don't know if you're the same, Steve. But if you kind of tip somebody before a race or before a championship to do well, and they do well, you kind of feel a bit smug inside. You know, oh, hey, I was right. Me. I, mean, I know me. something. And I said to him after Qatar, well, like in the first GP where he got the podium, I said, you know, I said you were going to be the dark horse in MX2 this year, and uh, so I was happy. I was proved right at the first round, but. You know, he's uh, he's just like one of those typical Aussies, you know, just determined, no mm-hmm. no bullshit, gets on with the job, and just uh, pretty hard. And, and that Yamaha is so fast, so it's, um, right. you know, it's a good combination. It's a shame, it's, I think it's his only time he can do MX2 with a, with a uh, 23 age limit rule, you know, okay. so maybe he'll be back on the big bike next year. Yeah, he's been someone that's surprised. And believe me, uh, my listeners, they don't get enough when I pick breakout riders and they actually do break out like Kyle Peters or Orion Sykes <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And trust me, I, I, I do feel that way. Uh, Boutron, probably the breakout guy. Did you see this coming? Yeah. The Spaniard? Um, a little bit. I mean, he got close uh, a while last year, but he signed for his team and his team fell through in pre-season. So he was kind of okay. left without a ride, which is a bit surprising. Um, and then he was taken, he was picked up by the, you know, his current crew, the Silver Action team and, you know, KTM and, you know, he's uh, you watch him ride, and he's he's not got the most sort of uh, style that's easy on the eye around the track. But he, I mean, he just throttles that bike, and yeah. um, you know, he's he, at the moment you kind of think, well, he's due a, due a crash the way he's heading. But you know, he's he's not doing it. He's 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 keeping it up, you know, on two wheels and and just getting those results. So yeah, I mean, he's been again one of the standout guys for me. Glenn Koldenoff as well from from Holland. I mean, he's been. You know, very quick. And we had Roman Febro, who's like, you know, only in his second season in GPs, like a French kid. He was doing well, got podiums in the first two rounds before he broke his leg. He should be back in France, I think. Okay. So there, there, are, there are young guys coming through, you know. Yeah. Tixier and the factory KTM doing all right, too. Second in the standing. Yeah. So nice lead. Um, yeah. uh, Anstey struggling a bit on, the, on that bike. Don't you think he should be doing yeah. a veteran, a veteran of that class? I think he should be doing better. Yeah. I, I, I think he should. Um, I think the bike and the support is there. Um, they're having trouble getting out the gate. That's the only thing. The time when he has got out the front, like mm-hmm. in Holland, and he's running top three, he's got the speed, and, of course, the, the technique to stay there. But, yeah, he just, he, he just can't get the start at the moment. So I think they're, they're, they're quite frustrated in that camp. And, you know, something's got to go right for him. Yep. But um, Max is due some luck, I think. Uh, Polcock, how's, how's Melbourne? He took Zach Osborne's ride, basically. Uh, he was the M- he was the E M X two champion, right? Um, yeah, that's right. Um, is he be doing what you thought? Better, or worse? Um, I think he wanted to be doing a bit better. He was hoping for top six, and he's been sort of hovering around outside that, you know, mm-hmm. just inside the top ten. A um, couple of fitness and no, not fitness, but a couple of sort of confidence issues there. Um, but you know, again, I think he's a guy that's sort of growing into that role of being, you know, having a kind of a factory K- uh, mm-hmm. Yamaha contract and. You know, and dealing with it because last year in, in European, there was nobody looking at him. He had no pressure, and he right. won like I think six out of seven rounds. So um, now he's like you know, feeling a little bit kind of of that pressure to deliver. But right. you know, he's getting used to it, and you know, he's got Maxime Despre next to him, who's like a little French kid who was riding. He was riding against in Europeans, and I mean, this kid is like a pleasure to watch on the bike. So yeah. he's very quiet, and you know, his English is is, is good, but not that good. Um, so he's like a, another one to watch, really. 
Yeah, the um, guys, uh, obviously at Bercy, um, French guys, predicted, yeah. pr- predicted big things for Tellier, Valentin Tellier. And okay. He's got a podium, but that's it. He's been hurt, or what's what's been what's been going on? Yeah, I mean, if you listen to his harshest critics, then like Valentin's kind of made a glass. You know, when he goes down, he breaks something, and uh-huh. that's, that's been his biggest problem. Is in trying to string together, a, a, you know, a good run of races through the season. Yep. I mean, again, another rider on the bike that's just amazing to watch, and you can see there's a real supercross fondness yeah. or background there. Right. But um, you know, and, he, and he's quick, but he's just not around enough. You know, he just he, he pops up for two or three races, gets hurt, <laughs> disappears, and comes back, and you know, I must I be would so frustrating for guys like that. I would think a U.S. team should take a chance on him for Supercross, and, and or come over for the first five or what you know what I mean, do something like that. The kid's got some yeah. Supercross skills. There's no doubt. Um, yeah, I mean what Anthony did as well. He wrote, I think he yeah. rode five of the the West Coast rounds this year. I mean that's because he wants to. I mean he's a Supercross nut, but. You know, I was hoping maybe a couple more GP riders would try that. I mean, it depends on the setup of the team. Like Zach Osborne was able to do it in 2012, um, you know, because, you know, Steve Dixon with the Monster Energy Yamaha team had the kind of setup that was flexible enough to permit him to, to do, do that. that yeah. um, that's not always the case for the European kind of setup. So, you know, I hope there will be a one or two more that give it a try because I think it brings obvious benefits. How about uh, over here, uh, Zach running down Muskan yeah. and Oxen? Yeah, I mean, you wrote for me in my magazine that, like, he always likes to remind you of every opportunity that oh, you guys are taking over. I yes. thought that was hilarious. <laughs> he you does. Know, but, I mean... <laughs> I, got a text at, uh, I got a text at 11 o'clock at night after his podium that said, by the way, once again, three GP riders in the top five. <laughs> and then he said, good night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Zach's got a lot of fans over here. I think he's, I think he's awesome. I mean, you know, a guy who can just pop off and do like a GNCC race or something, right, or did right. he do some sort of big enduro event? Yeah, GNCC or yep. something. Yep, two GNCC. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he's just a guy who just likes to ride, and you know, and just uh, we always we always appreciate him because he was like a, an American with a really good sense of humor, you know. Right, right. It was like, yeah, he had that English sarcasm and kind of you know thing dialed in, so you know. It was, um, uh, it was really a dull moment when he was around. Yeah, no doubt. But uh, by the way, thank you, Euro, Europe, Europe for uh, Roxon and Muscan. We appreciate it. Thanks for taking care of yeah. Osborne for a while too. We got him back now. <laughs> <laughs> um, who's going to be next? You know, who's going to be next? I don't know. You um, tell me. So. Yeah, I mean, Hurlings is the most obvious. You know, I mean, the guy's done everything in GPs. Right? You know, if, uh, say for example, he goes to MX One next year on a three fifty or mm-hmm. a four fifty or whatever, and. He kills that, be the first rider to beat Cairoli in like four or five years. Right. I mean, right. you know, at 19 years of age, he's going to be sitting there thinking, well, what do I do next? The most obvious thing is to go. But again, Steve, that big thing for GP riders, European riders, is supercross. You know, if they could come over and get like, a real good motocross deal, then, you know, then you would see more of it, I think. You know, people wanted to find different challenges, but, well, you know, trying to do like a 17, 18 round supercross series is just, I think, is a step too far. When he was here uh, riding Supercross in the fall a couple of years ago, my people at KTM told me that he was a disaster at it. Just, 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 <laughs> just couldn't, you know, just uh, not ready. Just can't do it. And, of course, a couple of years old now, you know, who knows? He'd be older, stronger, and all that. But that was basically like, hey, kid, you can't ride Supercross right now. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's that. He, he's got he's to do that. Um, uh, Nichols. Nichols has been up and down. Jake Nichols has been up and down year. Yeah. 
Last year in MX2, um, you know, he's on a, I think he's on a factory kitted bike. Mm -hmm. um, again, good support. I mean, he's on, like, Jackie Martins' former world champion team in Belgium. they got a nice big budget and, you know, a good example of a satellite team that's, you know, got a very good, like, base and, and right. foundation there. And I think Jake will be disappointing results, but he's had a couple of mechanical, um, DN, like, you know, glitches and stuff that, you know, I think he's been robbed of two podiums at least due to the bike, so... Mm -hmm. You know, um, but, you know, he's another guy. I think he did his first GP, like, in 2005. He's one of those slow burners, you know. Mm -hmm. And if you if you kind of, you know, that's maybe coming back to the whole pyramid system of the sport. And the whole problem is with having an established set of teams is that there's pressure there to do things fast and quick. Cause if you're not delivering results, then you're out. Right. So, um, you know, Jake's an example of a guy who's, you know, uh, has had backing from, like, you know, a wealthy family, a very supportive family. Um, you know, and, and plugged away at GPs, but and I mean, this was supposed to be his big year to to get premium results. And again, they'll come, but I think yeah. you know, after seven rounds, he probably wanted a bit more. Um, um, a guy who's also, if you ever speak to him, try and speak to him because he's very articulate and you know he knows a lot about racing and you know mm -hmm. about all sorts of racing. And um, he's always got like an interesting view on on the sport and stuff. So follow right, his Twitter right. as well because he's, he's, he makes some pretty passionate comments and stuff. So right, right. Really um, when's Tonus coming back? Do we know? Um, no, actually. I mean, no. uh, he went for another operation. Um, in Italy, he was looking at another. Italy was round four, I think, uh, if my memory serves me correctly. So he was looking at another two months. Um, I mean, okay. the the boss of the CLS Kawasaki team that he rides for, um, you know, uh, JJ Lucetti basically said to me he's he's one for next year. So oh, okay. I think he wasn't really, um, you know, he wasn't really putting much... Uh, you know, uh, faith in having him back for a, a decent stint of GPs this year. But, I mean, God, as oh. a rider was with no luck at all. Again, no. wonderful to watch on the bike and good speed. And the big question mark over him is if he's, he's just nasty enough to be able to win. Yeah. Um, well, those Swiss, you know. those Swiss, they're, they're so known for their tenacity and their anger. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, right, you know. Yeah, here, have a chocolate. Yeah, exactly. Hey, yeah. Uh, Jimmy Dakotas, this is not going well. Uh this is not going well. He's a great kid. I don't know if you've talked to him. Yeah. Um, no, he's a, he's a good kid. But uh, this is terrible. <laughs> There's no I other mean, way, he was gonna no get, other way he to was put it. He was going to get a honeymoon period, really, just to adjust and, and get into stuff. But I think, you know, I think he was like 17 and 15 in, in the races in, um, in yeah. Brazil. And, that was his best one. You know, yeah. you think after, yeah, after, after well, I mean, it took him, I think it took him like three GPs to get points. I think that might have been his first points, actually. It was, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to say he's not on like a ticking clock, but I think there, there's got to be, you know, just, just from some of the whispers and stuff around the paddock, you know, you just wonder how long he's going to be able to keep that bike there. I mean, Alessandro Lopino is like, a, you know, another Italian kid who came straight out of minicross into GPs and yeah. took like the hard route of to developing up to a level, and he's been hit and miss uh, on that bike, which is not slow. I mean, Tommy finished second in the world championship mm -hmm. on it last year, so... It needs to be up there. It needs to be doing better. But I just, um, you know, I mean, someone made a bit of a, an observation of Jimmy. I mean, they said, you know, it happens sometimes with Americans when they come over here. They look so fast on the bike. But then you look <laughs> right. at the lap times and, it, you know, because, I mean, he's, he's throwing that thing around. But, yeah. you know, he's just uh, the other guys are passing him left and right. And, you know, yeah. uh, I just think it's a confidence thing. I just think it's a confidence thing. If you can get, like, a top five finish in one moto after a great start on a track that's hard to pass because we have a few of those on GPs. Uh-huh. Um, then, uh, you know, maybe that would be the switch. Uh, and uh, Michael Leib's coming back. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how many how many comebacks this is. It might be three now. <laughs> I think so. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, you know, I mean, Michael is just so unpredictable. You know, getting on that Yamaha and finishing on the podium in Italy mm-hmm. last year and then having Epstein Bar and disappearing and... You know, you just kind of, you want the, the the kid to have a break, you know? Right, right. But um, yeah. he's running for a Dutch team now on a Suzuki. So, uh, you know, he'll be, you know, he's coming in a little bit off the radar. Well, uh, so. If he comes in and I starts beating Dakotas, who has his old ride, according to him, you know, the ride he basically yeah. kind of got screwed out of a little bit. If you, and Obviously, there's two sides of every story, three sides sometimes. Um you know, so if he comes in and starts beating Dakotas, which I predict he probably will, uh, he'll probably feel pretty good about that. Yeah, and I mean, the version I heard was that CLS had concerns over his fitness or whatever, or maybe, I mean, they'd already signed Lupino and they wanted to sign Tonus, and that was kind of a, right. a strange deal coming together from with him leaving Yamaha uh, at the end of 2012. So, yeah, he maybe did get a little bit screwed out of that, and I think his health and, you know, the question marks over it didn't help him at the time. But, um, you know, I mean, it would be good just to have, you know, some more U.S. presence in the series, you know. So, um, and again, you know, Michael's another kid that's just, you know, always a pleasure to talk to and have around. So you just, you want him to do well. Absolutely. Well, Adam Wheeler, uh, I think we're done. It's over past midnight. Yeah, I think we chewed the ass off that thing, haven't we? Yeah, we did. I'd like like, we could probably go for another hour about the changes (laughs) and stuff, because I don't know what, I don't know what what the hell Uh, is going on over there. Yeah, I know. Um, well, I've got, I've got a bit of a sore throat. I don't think my voice will last, so I might have to okay. hang up the phone in a minute. <laughs> uh, <laughs> probably see you at the Motocross of Nations in Twistenthal, Germany. So you're uh, not going to make a GP then? Well, that only one that was open was that Lirop, and that's like the week before the Des Nations. So yeah. do I really want to go Why there? Not? Do I really want to go there, come back home for a week, and go back to Europe? I don't know. Yeah, but why, why go back? Just like you know, hang around in Europe. You know, go and see some of the sites in Germany, and, you know, it's yeah. uh, a lot of history around. You know, do a bit of tourism. Oh, no. The Lirop as well is like, I mean, that is a real, real old-fashioned sand track. Right. I mean, it kind of disappears off into the woods, and you're talking a lot of kind of, you know, uh, 45, 90-degree corners and just wide bumps everywhere. And, I mean, it's the hurling show. Yeah, so if you want to come right. and see, like, how sand just, you know, well, is ridden, then it's a good event. I saw Lomo, how sand is ridden. Um <laughs> I, yeah. saw, I saw how sand was not ridden by the Americans um, <laughs> in, in Lombard, too. So, uh, maybe. Well, listen, we'll quick, just quickly before, before yeah. we, um, we hang up then. Um, will, will the Americans get it back at Tuchentau? Yes. You're looking at a very yes. twisty, undulating circuit that's not great for passing. No. Um, the atmosphere is going to be wild because they pack them in like all around these... There's loads of kind of bank turns and everything, and it's uh, mm-hmm. it's a real kind of swinging track, if that makes any sense. It just like loops from side to side inside this little hill. Um, yeah, you know, a, it's. Uh, I went there. Starts are going to be everything. Yeah, I went there in 09. Oh that, yeah, of course. That was yeah, where. Right. Yeah, yeah. That was, was where. Standing watching, watching. Yeah. Where I asked you, I said, "Hey, Caroli's in trouble or something," and you went, "No, no, just wait." <laughs> like seriously, you were like, "No, no." Twenty minutes in, he he starts to pour it on, and uh, sure enough, twenty minutes in. See you later. Like, caught yeah. past, using fourth yeah. or whatever, you know, just sort of riding around. You, you called it, no doubt. Um, I think it's a great track. I think it's a cool track, great spectator track. It is narrow in spots in those bottom of the hills, you know, before you yeah. go back up in those in those sweeping corners. It's narrow. But, um, yeah, yeah, USA gets it back. Come on. Have you seen Ryan Villapoto? How, how, how old is Bas, yeah? Uh, he... Is 20 or 21? Yeah, probably, yeah. 
So he could still ride like uh, the 250 or something, couldn't he? Yeah, yeah. He could he could be right. down to 250s. But generally speaking, you know, Mitch Payton's a big part of the team, uh, has been for years. One of his guys gets the spot unless it's a total disaster. You know, which actually right. his season, it's not going that well for him. So Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if you're looking at Baggett, Dungey, and Villapoto again, then, right. you know, it's going to be hard to see past that, really. Right. I mean, it'll be Roxon's track. It'll be Roxon's baby. I mean, that'll yeah. be... I mean, I would like to see how he's going to handle that event because, the, you know, he's going to be the main guy. Um, you know, it's... Uh, same team. I mean, that's one of the nice things that we always have about GPs. You know, you have you go to a different country and you see one guy, like, you know, right. heralded as a hero. You know, Bobby Sheva in Russia. I mean, I haven't seen an attention for an athlete like that anywhere, even really? like Caroli huh? in Italy. Really? You know? it, was that, it was that big? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, was, um, he was big cheese. Um, yeah, I do like that. I also like the GPs... Uh, before it sounds like I'm totally bashing them all. I love the, I love the patriotism like we talked about, and then also too I love the fact that there's sand, there's hard pack, there's loam, there's jumpy yeah. circuits. Uh, you guys over here we tend to have the same soil week to week. You know the same type of preparation on the track week to week, and it really turns into the same type of track, just in different parts of the yeah. country. Where you guys, you get the hard pack, you get the sand. You know you got everything. So. Yeah, I like and you that. go to a track like Lockett in the Czech Republic and you're riding around on stones. It's, right, uh, right. Yeah, there's diversity. There's diversity. So I do right. like that. Yeah, and then you have the Qatar, which was, I don't know what that was, but it was different. <laughs> it was different. Desert. Yeah, it was desert. Uh, what's your favorite GP mm. of the year? Oof. Which one do you really um, enjoy going to? If I can be biased a little bit, then Matley Basin always has a good atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, the British get into their, into their sort they of do. riders and home support and... Um, Brazil's always good just because of that atmosphere again. Um, favorite one? I quite like Sweden. Sweden's good. You yeah, know, it's I like a little bit out of the way and it's expensive. Um, I'd love but, to make you know, it there, there's yeah. this, yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's, um, that track and, and the club behind it. It's such a slick event. It's, uh, it's always sort of like, you know, mm-hmm. one to look forward to. So, yeah, I'm just glad Russia's off the calendar. Yeah, that was a nightmare oh, huh, to get yeah. to and stuff and all that. Oh, yeah. yeah, a different planet, you know. Until you're in the the you know the, the middle of nowhere in Russia, then you you don't really appreciate how big the world is. So. <laughs> right, right. That, yeah, when you when you're in the middle of nowhere in Russia, you really are in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with yeah, there was one hour trip between the hotel and the track, and you know there were whoops in the road. It was like that the quality of the asphalt on the road was like you know unreal. Wow. Um, I think Paul Maiden actually filmed himself on his camera phone and, you know, his voice wouldn't stop shaking for about 20 minutes through the bump. <laughs> so it was, it was uh, you know. Oh, and Paul funny. was a world champion talker, so, you know, you can imagine. Uh, right, it really hurt him. Yeah, what that, what that sounded like. Yeah, I can't, I, I, I can't wait to see him at uh, Destinations and reminisce about the Fox Hills. Or not Fox Hills. Yeah. Um, oh. um, sorry. Where, where, where did England win? Uh, Switzerland. Yeah, no, Switzerland. Fox Hill. Where was it? Switzerland. God, memory, memory crash. No, it was Switzerland. 94, yeah, yeah, I know the year, yeah, it was Switzerland, was it Roggenberg? Roggenberg, that's it, Roggenberg, yep, so, um, all right, Adam Wheeler, uh, on track, off-road, digital magazine, great, great thing, I love the U.S. reports the most, that that, that stuff's really great, Um, (laughs) yeah, appreciate that, that's the strongest part of the magazine, so check it out, by far, Uh, thanks very much for doing the btosports.com RacerX podcast presented by Thor MX, I appreciate it. Good luck to see you into the GPs. Uh, have fun the rest of the year, man, and we'll, we'll touch base soon. Great. Thanks a lot, Steve. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Steve Mathis Show. 
Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to find the more than 200 episode archive or get the Pulp MX app for your iPhone for the complete Pulp MX fix. 